0: Welcome to the Monsters of Fantasy. This was written, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Sean McCarter. Monsters of Fantasy is a production in which I will explore the truly horrific side of the fantasy world known as Dungeons and Dragons. There are content warnings in the show notes below. Episode 21 The Gargoyle So, last week I met Mr. Flamewalker, a retired wizard who used to work for the king. He used to be considered the best evocation wizard, but I asked around my old circles, and he's only ever been known as the legendary bird keeper. I didn't really get to talk to him, though, as you saw. He teleported in here, and then teleported right out after snatching that potion off my desk. Granted, it wasn't really my potion anyway, it just felt alien to have someone just come into my office like that and invade my space. I should really ask Luna about setting up some kind of arcane alarm in here. But, this isn't Kezvar's soapbox hour, is it? Without further ado, let's read a story about the Lip. Come in! Are you the new researcher? You're... you're Mr. Bones? In the flesh. You didn't answer the question. Are you the new researcher? Yes, yes I am. Then here, this is for you. Tell Nico I'm good for another year. Wait, what year? What? (laughs) Go ask that pretty flower of yours. Wait, what do you mean pretty? Flower... This is a statement, um, taken by Mr. Bones. Wait, hold on. Alright, so, um, seems that Mr. Bones has brought me a statement. I had a different story planned for today, but... Having read this, I, I think I should do this one first. Statement from Edmund Chesthill regarding his encounter with the gargoyles of Merlin's Manor. I am none other than Edmund Chesthill, and while I may be third in line to Chestire Hill, you may do well not to forget my name. My family has extended the King's rule in the Northern Hills for hundreds of years. You best do well not to ask me again. As for my occupation, well, I do fancy a few different things. Bloodhawk hunting, archery, bear shows, theater, tournaments, dragon chess, ballroom dancing, poker, reading, tea time, and many, many more. I guess you can say I am a well-rounded adventurer. For that is what I do most of all on behest of my father, Lord Chesthill. I go out and maintain his and King Kaiwan's peace among the hill-people. My father's land stretched from the base of the Aetherian Mountains till it meets the Raven's Forest, about three hundred miles of rolling foothills filled with men and halflings alike. Most of the halflings had already been there when our family came and made peace here. They had homes built into the faces of the rolling hills, towns tucked into the valley-sides. When humans came to settle here, all we had to do was build structures atop of the great hills, and there was no lack of farmlands either. The rolling earth provided great nutrients if you knew how to use it, fields both great for livestock grazing and crop growing. The halflings and the men made peace and shared the land, and eventually came to coexist. Also that's how my father tells the story. The truth is my family can trace their history in these hills back thousands of years. Our castle had been getting word that someone had taken up residence in the old abandoned castle at the eastern edge of the Raven's Forest. A beast of a castle if I'd ever seen one. It's so monstrously large that one can see it on the horizon about three days out if you knew what to look for. The towering crowned peaks, three of them jutting into the air like long fingernails. I'd only ever seen it twice before, and both of them were in my younger years. The castle sits at the furthest edge of not only my father's rule, but the rule of the king's as well, essentially. I'm not entirely sure how the castle came about. There are few rumors, but most of them agree on one thing. A crazy death clerk to Salune, Lady Demosthenes, had the castle built to spite the king and Paylor. From there, either the king came down with an army and destroyed Demosthenes and her followers, or he sent assassins. Some say that Pelor himself smote down the castle at the behest of the king, or the king actually left them alone and it was her own people who turned on her. Some say the Raven's Forest had taken its revenge on the castle. That was because it had been built by stripping away a part of the forest to make room for the castle's massive grounds. Either way, something happened and the castle had predominantly remained abandoned for the last 600 years only occasionally entertaining guests who decide to homestead for free. Generally speaking, the castle has some mysterious ways of dealing with the occupants. Like I've said, i only seen the castle twice, once on horseback off in the distance when I was eight, and again the following year in person. My father had gotten a rumor that a small army with banners of a drow had made camp there. Normally he would not care, but... Once the rumor of drow reached King Kaiwen's ears, we were forced to go. The king sent us an archmaid to go with my dad that day, a really old elvish gentleman who wore dark navy blue robes. At the time, I didn't know his name, but the king had sent none other than Archmage Volcane. My two older brothers and I went along while my older sister stayed back at the castle. They didn't really want to go, but my older brothers Bruce and Davin teased me about it, and after being called Craven, well, I had to go. I'll admit, aside from a few drow corpses getting carried away, I didn't really see anything scary at the time. Davin tried relentlessly to scare us by hiding behind bushes or broken walls. My father had forbidden us from entering the grounds of the castle during the sweep of it, which took hours even with my father's 300 soldiers. But he allowed us to roam the grounds and the gardens of the castle, which was plenty large enough for three teenage boys. The castle itself on the outside looked old and unkempt, vines and lichen alike infesting the sides of the building. Many of the tiles and stones were different colors, both from wear and construction, as if they ran out of materials over and over again during its building. There were several turret roofs with mounted ballistas at the top, but they were broken and destroyed from years of weathering and neglect. The only guardians that remained on the roofs were the sparse gargoyles built into the rims of the stone castle. Down below, in the gardens where we played, years and years of neglect caused a very odd and wondrous assortment of overgrowing plants and fruits. Bushes that were probably once manicured roses were now so overgrown and unrecognizable that garden itself seemed like a shambling mound. But, alas, the only true scary things found that day were the thirteen dead drow. I never asked my father about the group, as I was still a boy then, and the most I knew about the darker-skinned elves was that they were our enemy, and watching them come out with twisted limbs and broken necks should have been a good thing. That was thirteen years ago, and I am a man grown now. Davin now sits council with the king, Bruce commands my father's armies, and my sister Jasmine has also taken up a blade of sorts. She is a writer and researcher in Voron. And well, as I said, I'm an adventurer. I tend to go on these adventures on my own accord with my friends, but occasionally my father, when he tires of me being in the castle, will send me on short quests, as he calls them. Sometimes it's investigating a lower lord who might be threatening my father, slaying gnolls or goblins attacking the villages, Restoring a poisoned well, scaring dire wolves, carrying a potion to Lady L'Oreal, escorting convoys to the king, pretty much anything has been asked of me in good faith. If I'm bored or rather daring, I'll take up the task to try and spite my brother's army men. This one such occasion was a result of my rather daring personality. My father had gotten word from some villagers surrounding the castle that a mysterious drifter had taken residence there. Some even spoke of the drifter being a shaman or dark wizard saying they saw gouts of flame and flashes of arcane light coming from within the castle walls. My father paid no attention to the gossips of the common folk. That is until letters started showing up months later saying that men numbering a small army could be seen clad in dark robes coming and leaving the grounds of the castle. So he sent me out to investigate the situation and to write back if we should send our army or not. The first time I saw the castle again, I'll admit I didn't feel a thing towards it. I think I was thinking more about whether or not they had a brothel out in these small hillsides. It wasn't until I had stopped at the Little Toots Roots, a halfling bar built into a small hill about a mile away from the castle, was I reminded how dreadful the castle's history was. It was my job to investigate and get them talking, and talk they did. Most of them talked about the current residents of the castles and the rumors surrounding them. Gouts of flame, men wearing dark black robes marked with the serpent's eye, clouds of poison looming like fog around the walls, howling and screams of men. Some even said they saw figures flickering on and off the roof as the lightning was striking them. Some spoke of the castle as if it was haunted itself, and that the current occupants were in great danger. They say that you could glance up during the light of a full moon and see the maidens walking the halls, or ghastly shapes prowling the walls, zombies climbing out of graves, or even Lady Demosthenes herself singing a prayer to Salune. No matter who you talked to, the consensus was that something was happening within the castle, and all the creepy talk brought my mind racing back to the twisted and mutilated bodies of the drow. It started shaking me up, but... The good ale of Little Toot's Roots kept me on my feet. At that point in the night, I was still completely intent on this mission being just an investigation. I had already gathered all the information I could from the townsfolk, halfling and human alike, had something to say about the abandoned castle that looms over them. It was time I go ahead and at least get a sense of the castle's grounds. The castle was built atop, and partially into, the side of a hill. The valley that bleeds into the raven's forest had been cut back to build vast walls for the castle's courtyard, as well as keeping out the creatures of the forest. The walls themselves were towering, and as I walked up to the giant portcullis, the entire castle loomed out of view. There was a sign on the closed gates that read, Merlin's Manor, and common. There was something else written at the bottom of the sign in a very small subscript. As I walked closer to the gate to read the script, The wooden sign started to split open along its center. Where the blank space sat underneath Merlin's manor's lips started to form out of the splitting wood. Startled, I fell back as the wooden sign began speaking to me. Welcome to Merlin's manor. If you are receiving this message, you are not welcome inside the walls of Merlin's castle. We apologize for the inconvenience. I fell back startled, waiting to see if the magical sign would speak again. But as it finished, its mouth seemingly vanished, and it was a normal sign once again. I waited to see if the magical sign would speak again, but as it finished, its mouth seemingly vanished, and it was a normal sign once more. I hesitantly walked up and checked to see if they were trapped, both the gate and the sign, but as soon as my hands touched the gates, the crack that formed between the two sheets of metal began talking to me, and I fell back once again. "'It seems you misunderstood.' Please make an appointment before further exploration, or you will be forcefully removed from the property. Thank you." And the two metal lips vanished. I don't know what came over me, but I shouted back at the talking door, "'I am the son of Lord Chesthill! If I wish to enter your castle, I may do so!' I said before that I was an adventurer, and I had a bit of gear to prove it. I reached into my leather sack and pulled out my grappling tools. It took a few tries, but eventually my hook sunk itself on the other side of the wall. The climb had to be about two hundred feet up, something ridiculous for any normal castle. and left me winded as I reached the top. I sat there panting for a bit, catching my breath and looking at the castle. The grounds were much as I remembered them, pathways overgrown and taken by plants, broken walls from the long abandoned eastern wings of the castle, gargoyles, seemingly more of them from up here, once beautiful statues to Sailoween now all broken and defaced and unrecognizable. Everything just as the day I saw the thirteen dead drowmen being carried out. Except for that day, once my father's men left the castle, it looked dead and empty, abandoned. Now I saw the entire northern wing of the castle had lanterns lit up. I could see through cobwebs and cracked glass, individuals in robes feasting in the dining halls. All the lights were low and warm so I couldn't make out any details, But the castle was alive and bustling, and it wasn't with ghosts. I anchored my hook and started descending down the wall. I still had another hundred or so feet to go when I heard the sound of wind rushing past me. I glanced back to see if an archer had spotted me, but instead I just saw the castle. The bare and empty turret housing looking at me. And then I heard a piece of the wall fall past me. I glanced around and looked up as the night sky rushed away from me. I was falling and fast. Chunks of the wall were coming after me. With a loud crack, my body slammed into the ground below. I felt bones shatter before the immense pain caused me to black out. When I came to, I heard voices talking to one another as I tried to grasp my surroundings. It was hard to make out what they were saying at first as the world came spinning back into view. Red hot pain shot up my spine, and worst of all, I couldn't feel my legs. You'd think he'd have stopped at the door, said the closest voice. Last guy left after the sign. This one sounded whinier than the last one. It was coming from further away. I opened my eyes and saw my rope dangling there, edges frayed as if they had been cut. The wall above seemed to be completely intact, a third voice coming somewhere from above. Why are you two complaining? We haven't had an opportunity like this since Master moved us here. Yeah, that guy did die pretty quickly, eh? <laughs> the first voice agreed as an ugly stone face came into view. The creature looked like a pig with horns, and its skin was cracked and gray. I felt cold stone wrap around my wrists. As its crooked grin smiled, its face was fat and blemished with pimples and warts as hard as the rest of its body, a stunted and ugly thing. Like an architect made a mockery of a cherub, but twisted its face and replaced the feathery wings with demonic protrusions. Oh, you're awake. The second voice was coming from my feet. I'm surprised he didn't die from the fall. I strained my head up to get a look at him. It was as if someone had taken the fat stone baby and squished him. His face was stretched and long, thin with a hooked nose. And where the last was fat and squat, this grotesque creature had rippling stone muscles. It bent down and picked up my feet, and once again a jolt of pain shot up from my spine. And I faded back, in and out of consciousness. I remember in one of my fits, I tried stabbing one of the creatures. Going to have the dagger ripped from my hands, along with a few of my fingers. At one point, surely, I was hoisted into the air, for the last thing I remember before that room was flying high up to the castle, and looking down at my legs. My left shin had been splintered, and the skin was completely ripped where the bone had torn the flesh. It was sticking out and trailing blood as we flew. My right leg fared no better. At the end of it sat a bleeding stump, The actual foot of which was long lost. The shock and sight of it sent me into darkness once again. I awoke in a bare stone room that had to be somewhere far below the castle. The room was completely dark, but as my eyes slowly adjusted to the cellar, I noticed instruments and saws along the wall, chains strapping and leading to the ceiling, open caskets with spikes. I was on a stone slab and my wrist was bound by leather. I don't know how long I was down there before the questioning began, but once the questions started, I lost all concept of who I was anymore. No matter how much I told them that I was Sir Edmund Chesthill, the gargoyles kept insisting there was more to me. Surely, if I was to dare spy, on the Great Merlin. Um, I've done a bit of research on this statement after taking a brief trip to Voron. I would need a few days to work on the postscript for this entry anyway, so I decided to research into the Chesthill family. I confirmed that Mr. Edmund Chesthill was telling the truth about his family's history and power. It seems that the family has had a long-lasting tie with the throne that dates back to the founding of Voron. There has always been a Chesthill, it seems, attending to the king in some manner. I guess that's why Sir Edmund Chesthill was buried at the largest cemetery in all of Athaphos, the King's Court Cemetery in Voron. He had been buried just a few days before I'd gotten there. I didn't get to meet Mr. Bones again, though. I ran into his son, Damien Bones, who seemed to be just as oblivious to the statement his father gave me as I was. He did let me know that the night they brought Edmund in, he was all torn to pieces, practically flayed in some parts. When I questioned Damien more about it, he said he took the night off early. His father insisted they go celebrate the New Year's party, and Mr. Bones cleaned up Edmund all on his own. I tried prying a bit deeper, but he kept retorting that Mr. Bones had some errands to run and wouldn't be back for a fortnight. I think Damien means well, but something was itching at me and that he wasn't telling the whole truth. Speaking of the whole truth, you can imagine after I read this I had Luna message Nico asking why his friend, Merlin, who we did indeed see him with last week, seems to be amassing a lot more students than the one we read about previously. Moments later, I heard his disembodied voice explain that this was a school for gifted orphans and that whoever this unfortunate soul may be, he was clearly trespassing. When I pressed harder on the subject of what the townsfolk said, Nico told me he'd look into it and that I should just focus on getting my job done. So, the gargoyle. Gargoyles are much like the statues we have named in their likeness. Architects of old added them to almost every building they could, it seems. Even now, castles and great mansions are being built with gargoyles perched on their roofs, protectors and guardians. However, gargoyles are beings of pure evil. Like most earth elementals, they are brought to our realm and are bound to obey, usually by an arcane spell. They are rather dense creatures, making them very easy to command, and ideal servants. I meant that as a nod to their intelligence, but they are dense in other regards. Physiology. In our notes, it seems that Nico had some hesitation with what to clarify these things as. Cadewin adamantly believes they are fiends due to them being found in the Abyss. But we're going to stick with Elemental. Through all the research, it seems these creatures, while residing on the Prime Material and the Abyss, they originate from the Earth Elemental plane. The rest of this is just conjecture, but... Niko believes the gargoyle's banishment of the Abyss was due to their strictly anti-Earth-elemental properties. The gargoyle, like our Earth-elementary entry, is made out of stone. Except this is a very specific subtype of Earth-elementals. They all take on the form of a fiendish creature with large stone wings. These wings are made of stone just like the rest of them and defy all laws of physics, even some of magic. They can fly. Ugly, grotesque, flying statues. You're probably familiar with what a gargoyle looks like because of the fake ones you see on rooftops. And these fake ones, though, are all too similar to the real ones. It is said if a gargoyle remains motionless, they're seemingly indistinguishable from a normal statue. Weaknesses and resistances. I'm just going to call this section immunities and resistances now, I think. I had a respite with the treant who was weak to fire, but... Just the same as our broad entry on the Earth Elementals, the gargoyle is immune to being poisoned or petrified. Remember that whole stone-to-stone bit? And they are resistant to most mundane weapons. If you're looking to hurt the creature, then I suggest a different approach than a match of strength. Honestly, their weakness, if I were to call it that, is their general lack of intelligence. They can often be tricked or contracted into services that... mm, ...simplicate their minds. Gargoyles only want one thing, to cause pain. That, paired with their stone willed patience, makes them great sentinels to hire, but also gullible foes. Attacks and abilities. How would you imagine a fiendish monster made of stone would attack you? If it's with strong, sharp claws and teeth, then you'd be spot on. They aren't intelligent creatures and don't have any innate spell casting, they just flap about clawing and biting their prey. Occasionally one may be given weapons of stone as well from their master and can be found brandishing weapons or other tools, but no matter the instrument, gargoyles are notoriously ruthless creatures. Corrupted by the evil nature of the Abyss, it seems that gargoyles enjoy extracting pain from their victims. That was something different than most of our monsters that, at the end of the day, may very well just be surviving and eating, like the story of Lady Benheim. That rock in that story was just hunting, but these gargoyles are guardians. Evil ones at that. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and family, or leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at MonstersOf for all news and teasers for upcoming episodes. Today's story is starting to get into the mysterious history of Nico's wizarding friendships. There's a lot going on in Merlin's manor, and Casvar and company seek to find out by looking at more stories regarding this Merlin. Join me next week with another story from one of the great followers of Merlin, with the Balgura. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.